Welcome to the Soil Podcast. I am Tom L.C. Ship. I'm uh, Jack Cleason. And I'm SK. And today we're going to be talking about horror and comedy. What uh, what makes them similar? What makes them different? Let's talk about what these genres are. I begin with, we'll start with some definitions and then uh, start to compare and contrast them. Uh, so let's start with horror. The horror genre in terms of film, its goal is to purposefully elicit fear to entertain the viewer in the same way that we get on roller coasters to get scared. That is its purpose as a genre. In terms of film, it is one of the genres with the heaviest expectations from its mm. own form. In the same way that a Western, we, we expect a lot from a Western. We expect a lot of the same moments to happen all the time. Horror has a number of different types of horror films, but each one has its own expectations. And mm. a lot of those different horror movies, possession movies, uh, supernatural monsters, haunted houses, serial killers. Right. There's a lot of different beats that each of those different kinds of stories, we expect to see them. And a lot of times it can be limiting for the horror genre because sometimes you want to get away from them. But if people don't see what they expect, sometimes they lose interest. So if we're always expecting something like, like if we always have these um, story beats and genre expectations, um, could you consider that cliche? Yeah, the horror genre is, uh, is rife with cliches. Some say that it invented the cliche. <laughs> right, like when I go to a horror movie, I'm not really expecting anything too new. Yeah, I, that's a pretty reasonable expectation to go into a horror movie and expect it to be about 80% what you've already seen. It's that last 20% where we want to see something new. Yeah, it's like you can be scared in only kind of one way, really, but you can laugh at a million different jokes. Sure. Makes the, sense. the limitation in the horror genre from its tropes and cliches is that it's it's just we expect so much out of it that when we deviate from it, sometimes we get to the point where we're not sure if it's a horror movie anymore. And huh. Tom actually brought up a a great example the last time we yeah, were talking the about this. Hereditary, that right. new movie. Where it's like, is it like a thriller? Is it a weird like fantasy horror hmm. possession film? Right. Hereditary plays on a couple of different horror types. But it has enough unique elements and enough like interesting camera work to the point where we're almost uncomfortable watching it in terms of a horror movie because it's scary, but we're not sure why it's so scary. Hmm. It's very new, and it it trumps our expectations in a lot of ways. So, what is it that it does then? Like, how does it um, how does it scare us? Why why does it scare us? Well, horror likes to again elicit fear, but it plays on our basic human fears. It tries to provoke our own anxieties. It you know makes us feel lonely or helpless. In general, the all types all types of fears that you know we know of, and you know the very big fear of the unknown itself. You know, a lot of horror happens off screen, at least in decent horror movies. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of elements that don't take place where we get to see them, and that can be the scariest stuff. Like it reminds me of the movie Alien, where you don't see the alien for a lot of the movie. It's just it's the uh, the powers and it's not seeing it right that's actually a really great uh example horror used to use before mm. cg became so prevalent right. is that a show off <laughs> right keeping the monster off screen actually makes the monster scarier right that's why the monster is usually in shadow or out of focus it's because we don't know what it is and we don't really need to understand it or we want to but we just can't right. it's too scary for that 
And we fill it in the uh, the blankness of her own fears, so it's right. more personal fear. Well, I think then once you uh, once you do see the monster, it's like a lot of times it doesn't live up to your expectations, or or at least it doesn't live up to the thing that you were imagining in your own mind. And so it's almost like a letdown. It's like, oh, well, that's not as scary. It can be that way. Sometimes the the big reveal in a horror film is the the least interesting. Mm-hmm. So sometimes keeping the monster even mysterious all the way to the very end can be some of the scariest shit. Right. Uh, the horror genre is also something that really benefits from being combined with other genres. Its strongest form is like like uh, Tom's example with Alien, the combination of science fiction. Because once we add in another genre, we start to lose some of the expectations of a horror movie. There's less of the creeping, the wandering, the noises, the jump scares. And we start to rely on the other genre to pick up the, the plot slack. Uh, maybe the complexity of the characters in a science fiction we can have really complex characters and add space which is the biggest unknown there is it's already inherently a big fear that makes sense i like when they uh like the movie like split they they tied in psychological kind of movies so they had the character with the uh dissociative personality disorder to kind of give him more depth depth does he also get more depth yes that was that was a good villain where it's like at the end it's just like holy shit. <laughs> yeah, being psychologically complex in a psychological thriller horror movie is it's a good it's a good route to go. Yeah, it's a lot safer than just being the straight horror. I don't know <laughs> the hauntings or exorcisms, right? Because there's only about six thousand of those, and there's only about three good ones. Well, there's going to be four at some point. Hopefully. <laughs> And um, one of the biggest genre expectations of horror is actually the effects of it. Older horror used to lean on the theatricality of like prosthetics, uh, monster design, creature sets. There's lots of places like, uh, I guess, John Truby would point the the terrifying house as one of the environments that horror usually takes place in. There's usually right. some cathedral-like building that's really scary or really run down, and it's a manifestation of the character's fears. Right. And a lot of horror movies end up in those places. Mm-hmm. A new sort of expectation out of horror in the last three decades, I guess, if you call that new, is uh, the prevalence of computer graphics. Right. Now there's a, a lacking of practical effects. The monsters can get very, very ornate, very disturbing. But in a lot of ways, they're really hard to, to grasp and maintain our own disbelief. Yeah. Like, I, I was... Like when I was watching the new Doctor Sleep movie, it had like it was like heavy on the CGI for like the souls and stuff. And I was watching it, and I was like, "This is kind of stupid." <laughs> it doesn't need <laughs> this. Doesn't need glowing eyes and stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. As soon as we're aware that we're watching a movie, it's the Achilles heel of the horror movie. As soon as we're aware that it is stupid, mm-hmm. or that we just don't believe the monster is scary, we're mm-hmm. instantly out. And it's that's why a lot of times, even in newer movies, they try and hide the monster to the last minute because they know that you're not going to enjoy the movie if you know how mm. most dumb the monster is. <laughs> Speaking of dumbness, Tom, you want to talk about uh, you want to talk about comedy? Yeah, I didn't comedy. actually mean to make it sound like you were dumb. I just meant the uh, comedy is a dumb. lot of times you have this dumb comedy. Speaking of Tom, that idiot. You have clever comedies, then you have the dumb dumb comedies. So I'm glad that it's a inter- it's a good pairing of comedy and horror. Because uh, my, like, for example, my favorite uh, late show host, Stephen Colbert, says that comedy is the opposite of horror, that it's physiologically impossible to laugh and be scared at the same time. 
Mm. Um, I don't know if I agree with that, but I don't know. Comedy, I, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I agree with that. Yeah, it's like pull up Colbert. Colbert, um, get on the show. <laughs> he, he can. He, um, yeah, <laughs> I guess he can. Yeah, exactly. He can. He can Discord in just like we are. So comedy, I feel like it. You know, you're going in expecting to laugh, feel good. It's a feel good not instead of a feel bad like a horror movie. So comedy as the story events will build tension uh, in the audience and in the characters and then have a sudden release uh, in unexpected ways. And that's where the humor comes out. Mm-hmm. I think Freud's like theory of humor is that it's like a valve inside of us that's full of pressure and then suddenly the gas gets released and that's the relief we get. The, uh, and sometimes the literal gas that's good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we laugh really hard, yes. <laughs> Like horror, uh, can play on the underlying anxieties and fears, like uh, loneliness. Like we can make fun of loneliness, and that way, instead of like you know you're alone and trapped in solitary confinement, like a horror movie, uh, somebody's alone and you feel empathy. You feel like, okay, well I'm not alone in my aloneness. Mm-hmm. Um, so comedy kind of takes those underlying anxiety and fears and uh, kind of shows their silver lining. Or uh, exposes them as absurd or something. Or kind of removes the uh, the power they have over us in some way. And they're able to see it as a something harmless. I like that. Yeah, yeah. Humor has the power to take power away. Mm-hmm. Like uh, to reveal that the uh, the king has no clothes. We were talking about um, <clears throat> if it's uh, if it actually should be considered a genre. Tom, do you want to talk a little bit about uh, why? I think I even consider it like a super genre in that it by itself it's kind of just like stand-up comedy you know it's just jokes mm-hmm. uh, but you can pair comedy of any other genre of horror to make dark comedy you can do it with romance to make a rom-com mm-hmm. uh, with a thriller to make those you know spy comedy movies and stuff there's action mm-hmm. comedies like bad boys for life so <laughs> whether it's good or not Right. And it it uses the expectation of those genres. Like uh, when you're watching Bad Boys for Life, you, you still see all the beats of the action movie. You They're still almost, expect it to be good, yeah. but for some reason it's not. <laughs> yeah. It's not. Fast and Furious 9. Um, really? Uh, Fast and Furious? All right, um, we, we keep opinions out the door here. Um, yeah, sure. So. Comedy is a designing principle. It's like you go into it, how do I make this funny? How do I take these events and make it funny? You have the events, how do I twist it or something? I think that ties into your last point, that the idea that comedy as a genre by itself is pretty formless. Right. You need another genre to piggyback the structure of it. Right, right. Because it doesn't have an inherent genre. Or sorry, it doesn't have an inherent uh, structure to it. Yeah, a joke for a joke's sake is just like a pun, or it's not a story. You know, stories, like you can have a comedy story, but it's usually like, if you take away the comedy, you still have like a drama or a horror right. story or something. Exactly. Thank you for all agreeing with me. <laughs> <laughs> keep making good points, and we'll keep agreeing with you. Comedy comes from the bowels. <laughs> Sometimes. Now, uh, we were also talking about how um, there's a, a lot of different ways that we can express comedy, right? You have slapstick humor, you know, physical humor, you have uh, wordplay and dialogue, uh, you have, you know, uh, character types of characters, like playing off each other, like the serious and the, the ass. That's that's a, that's a literary term, the ass. Um, right, yeah, of course. Um, you can have a big ol' ass and <laughs> 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 that's Shrek. 
Um, like in in Shrek, it's literally literally an ass. <laughs> I, I love that you worked in Shrek. <laughs> oh yes, Shrek yes. is the peak of comedy. If we're all being serious, which takes comedy and fantasy, this fantasy genre, yep. very heavy, but it's very pointed. The comedy, like you're not, it's not like a fantasy movie that has jokes. It's a uh, a comedy. You know, you're laughing all all the way to to the end, and it ends in a happy ending of a marriage, like Shakespeare. <laughs> Shakespeare. Yeah, you, you heard it here first, folks. Shrek is like Shakespeare. It ends in a marriage, yeah. Instead of everybody dying, which would be a right, yeah, the drama. tragedy, right, tragedy. So when comedy is used in like in a modern world, instead of like a Shrek, I guess that <laughs> actually, well, Shrek is they have a lot of modern things, right? It takes the old tropes and like modernize right. them a bit, right? Right, but they, but by doing that, right, you're 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 starting to think about, um, you know, the differences between their world and our world. And the jokes are a little bit kind of breaking the fourth wall um, right. in that way. It's kind of a little bit of a wink to the audience of like, you know, th- these characters really shouldn't be able to know about the thing that they're saying. We know about it, so it's kind of okay. But you're sort of limited in that way where your jokes right. are forced to kind of point those things out. That's the limitation with comedy in terms of other worlds, like fantasy or sci-fi, where the culture of that world may not be totally established Mm -hmm. in in the 90 minutes the film takes place. Right. So the jokes have to be a little more pointed to the common experience that we all share. Mm -hmm. So we can't quite get the nuance of maybe wordplay in a language that we've never spoken in a fantasy world. It just, there's not enough time to establish that kind of thing. And in a comedy, no one really expects you to be that in depth. In depth, right? Exactly, exactly. Well, we're, when we're watching something that's that's you know supposedly a comedy, we're expecting it to kind of poke fun at certain things, right? And so, by having a comedy that's in a fantasy world, we inherently expect them to be poking fun at fantasy tropes and the modern world versus you know, the, the Middle Ages, which is what fantasy stories usually are set in, right? Um, right, uh, right. But it's, you know, it kind of ties into what we were talking about the last podcast that with um, Story World, right? Where the, the, the fact that the story takes place in a different world already puts a, um, a message into your story that, that you're making by anytime a character is aware of the world in some way, we are already, we're comparing that action to what we would have to do in the modern world and we're we're reading into uh the story that you're saying this is either a good or bad thing of either about that world or about our world um and so the jokes kind of are forced to be aligned with that in that they're they're pointing out the differences between our world and that world yeah exactly why don't we talk about some of the commonalities now between horror and comedy what do you guys think just kind of talking through all this you know it, it What's interesting to me is that it sounds like they both, both these genres, although we established that comedy is not really its own genre, but that's fine. They both kind of have a, a victim of sorts, right? Horror is the obvious one. Um, somebody's being like chased down or whatever. But, uh, in comedy, it's usually somebody is like the, the butt of a joke. Um, or, you know, an idea is the butt of the joke. Um, that sort of thing. We're, we're making fun right. of something. And it has an inherent victim in that. Right. Like horror has like bodily or psychological harm. And then in comedy, mm-hmm. it's like some kind of more like pride or stereotype. Is the right. Victim. Right. Some it's like the idea. Flaw. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or physical um, humor too. Mm-hmm. Well, well yeah, exactly. Right. Then it's then it's just self harm or whatever, right? Or, yeah. <laughs> I stepped uh, on a rake. Oh no, there's yeah. another rake. That's yeah. comedy. I, or I don't know uh, what you guys are talking two, about. Two rakes in a row. <laughs> Three. Or the, that Simpsons thing where uh, where he's just continuously stepping on more and more rakes. <laughs> Or like uh, even gross out humor, right? Where um, there's farting or, or weird no- or gross noises and stuff. The the victim there is kind of implied, <laughs> yeah. but it's it's whoever is having to experience it, right? You're you're laughing at um, the grossness of that thing, and that somebody might be offended by it. I know. <laughs> I'm glad you know. <laughs> Story of my life. I think we're kind of like yeah. Uh, stands these out from other genres is the victimhood and that they they very often go to extremes yeah i I guess other movies do that yeah but i think you're allowed to go a little bit yeah you're you're allowed to go i think even further with um with horrors and and, and comedy because comedy it's trying to take something to its absolute limit to point out the absurdities of it usually whereas with horrors you're trying to take something to its absolute limit so that we can see the horror in something, right? Even, Fear is a pretty extreme emotion. Yeah, yeah. So the whole film has to somehow try and maintain mm. that extremity the whole right. ninety mm-hmm. minutes. Like I think of a thriller, but at the same time, thriller is more bound to realism, whereas like horror and comedy, they don't have to be confined to realism. Mm-hmm. Well, thriller is like a slow build, right? It's usually about revelations as we go and find more and more information. Mm-hmm. So another thing that we we can observe that's kind of common between these two is the idea of uh, the, audi- the audience's status. In, in horror, we tend to be unaware of the thing, of the, of the monster, at least in good horror, right? Um, <laughs> but uh, we can also sometimes be above the characters, right? Because we know that it's a horror movie, and maybe we're laughing at them because they don't know they're in a horror movie and they're making a bunch of dumb decisions, right? In, in comedy... Uh, you can have uh, this this concept of uh, somebody basically not knowing that you know what they're saying is is uh, causing an issue, and we're kind of waiting for the other foot to drop or the other shoe to drop, um, and so we have kind of this elevated um, status above above the character. Um, so there's kind of this this play with uh, uh, the audience's status uh, back and forth that's that's happening in both these genres. I'd like to make a general storytelling point. Mm-hmm. Once um once you get to the point where you're writing stories and you're actually aware that the audience is perceiving information at the same time that characters are, you won't be able to ignore it. <laughs> so the audience's status in stories is really important. And depending on what their status is, you can kind of tell what story you're trying to tell mm-hmm. and what genre you're leaning towards. Because if we think of the audience's status in terms of my parade metaphor... <laughs> which I have to horn in here. Oh, can you tell us about that? Uh, Think of the audience as being someone in the crowd at a parade, and you're pacing with the parade. You can watch the parade as it unfolds and watch things happen. If you think of it as a story, you're learning things at the same time that the characters are learning things. You're keeping up. But in something like a psychological thriller, maybe you know, the spy movies, we don't learn all the information at the exact same time the characters do. Sometimes they get notes, and we don't get to read them too. So we're behind. And that's like people passing in front of you in terms of the parade. Or maybe you fall behind, you miss the float. Mm -hmm. But in a unique situation that happens at the end of most movies, but happens pretty systematically between comedies and horrors, is that 
the audience gets superiority to the point where they get to see the parade from above right. and see the path it might take. They get like a godlike privilege view. Right. Kind of uh, they get the, the god spot, the god view. And they can see the, the, the whole route they've taken thus far. And so now the audience is able to see like, oh, because of that, it must be going to, to this point. And now I understand. Yeah, I, I understand where we're going with this. And, they, and the writer has a choice about how much information at any one time they choose to reveal mm-hmm. or keep secret. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's useful in both comedy mm-hmm. and horror. And it's the execution of that idea that really leans towards how well the comedy or how well the horror actually turns out. Well, so how, do you, how would it work in, um, in horror then? A lot of good horror movies, the idea of the audience's superiority. Usually the audience gets to know information before the characters do, but only at the very last moment, right before it's too late to do anything about it. Mm. We get to be one step ahead of the characters, but there's not enough time to warn them about what's about to happen. So a really good example of this is uh, John Carpenter's Halloween, the 1978 version. Ah, yes. There's a scene where... Well, I'll just put it on screen. But uh, Michael Myers sits up, and Laurie, our hero, is unaware of this. And we mm-hmm. know, at this point in the film, this guy has died two or three fake deaths, and she thinks that she's killed him. It's a play yeah. on helplessness. We, this guy is unstoppable. So he sits up again because she doesn't know that the monster never dies the first time. <laughs> or the third time, apparently. Yeah, <laughs> the third time. A really bad example of this um, is the medicine cabinet trope. In any modern horror movie. In the mirror. Everyone, everyone's got a great example of this. Like with the mirror when they're turning yeah, the mirror. A character opens a mirror, and we know that when they close the mirror, there's going to be something scary behind them in their reflection. Right. But it's gotten to the point where this trope is so uh, well known that sometimes the filmmaker will make the decision to not put anything in the mirror just to give us the tension. Yeah. But give us no payoff. Right. Right. But the big difference between the two of these is that when the audience gets to be superior at the, at the last moment, in a good example, it, it reinforces the story. It reinforces the, right. the basic fears. It actually adds to the film. It builds the tension in a way that we know bad things are about to happen, right. but it's not shocking. Right. It builds, it builds or the audience is superior, but still within the, the story. They're still following. Right. They still want to know what's going to happen. And a bad example, it's, yeah. it's just cheap. It's right. there to scare us. It's to give us that, that sensation of fear, but right. it only lasts for a second and we we feel cheated after. Yeah. And it's not even that it's like playing on our expectations within the story. It's playing on our expectations within the genre. And so we're thus forced to acknowledge that we're watching a horror movie at that moment. And so it totally takes us out right. um, of, the, of the story that we're watching uh, or reading. It becomes but, very difficult yeah. to suspend our disbelief. Right. Right. That jarred. Right. Well, so comedy is kind of similar, right? Like in horror, there's usually a, a victim who's uh, essentially the butt of the joke. We, the audience, are superior in that we are pretty privy to um, info that the, the victim, the, the butt of the joke, is not aware of, right? Which basically, a lot of times, will be somebody putting their foot in their mouth, right? And they're not really aware of it, but we definitely are. And so you have this tension that rises within you while you wait for the other characters to respond in some way, right? But it's it's harmless, so it's it's fine. Um, you're waiting for the big reaction because it's going to be you're expecting a funny reaction, and so you start kind of giggling to relieve yourself of some of that tension uh, while they're still putting their foot further and further into the mouth, digging right. a deeper and deeper grave. 
Like comedy happens when the audience sees like the the dissonance between right. somebody doing something absurd and then the straight mm-hmm. the person who's playing straight who's like horrified or just right. like not having it. Exactly. Now a good example of this, one of my favorite scenes from any movie. It's everyone's favorite. It's every yeah, really that's exactly true. Um is uh the the rhino scene <laughs> from Ace Ventura with Jim Carrey pokes his way out of a rhino's asshole. The thing is that that would be that would still kind of be funny because it'd be somewhat grotesque and and he'd be making goofy noises or whatever if it was just him and we were just watching that happen. But it's made better when the family shows up to watch. Oh yes. And the they don't know what's about to happen. <laughs> and we know that he's They're in there like and it's sweaty tour. and he's naked because it's hot and we they have no idea what's about to happen, right? Um, and so we immediately know, oh no, this is going to be bad, right? And so the finger pokes out, which releases a little bit of our tension, but it's not enough. And <laughs> so so we, we, we giggle and we're like, oh, oh boy, it's happening, right? And the family still doesn't know. And it keeps playing on this, this back and forth of like showing him and showing the family's reaction. The longer they drag it out where he's only doing a little bit and they still are unaware, the tension in us grows and it becomes funnier and funnier until eventually he's out and that's essentially the punchline is him finally being out of the the rhino um, and the family realizing what's going on. Once the family realizes it, now we no no longer have superiority over it and the funny joke of it is now lost, right? Or at least is over. Um, and we're just kind of in the afterglow at this point. Um, Ew. <laughs> the afterbirth. Yeah. Afterbirth. <laughs> um, SK, I think you should actually talk about uh, the bad example here because this was your example that you found. Uh, yes. Uh, the bad example of audience superiority in comedies. Classic film, Dude, Where's My Car? Classic. <laughs> the classic. We've it's absolutely it. classic. It's horrible. There's a scene where the the two main characters get tattoos that they can't remember that they've gotten. Right. And they both say sweet and dude. And that's common verbiage between the two of them. And they're too dumb to realize that by telling each other what their tattoos say, they're playing into the dialogue in what's supposed to be a very funny way. But the scene drags on and on and on. And it, it gets to the point where they're beating the dead horse. We, we just don't find it funny after the first two or three times. Right. It's, we're waiting for We're waiting for the scene to end. Mm-hmm. We already we want, we want to be spared this joke because it's been told to death. Yeah, in yeah. thirty seconds. <laughs> yeah, they're trying to do the Abbott Costello who's on first. Yeah, but that joke <laughs> there's only two lines. Yeah. yeah, there's only dude. Where's my our dude? Was mine say? Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> okay. There's nothing else for it to to build on, and so they keep going over it back and forth, and there's no more tension rising. Right, we just we talked about how the tension kept rising in the other scene. There's no tension rising once they do it one or, once or twice, right? Now, the way they could have actually done it is because the scene does end when the when the shopkeep finally gets fed up and he comes and explains it to him, right? And he's all angry. And it could have been done better by simply having us focus on the shopkeeper and having him looking at him and his reaction to it and back at them. It's still going on and his annoyance keeps growing. And so we now know that he's going to do something and these two idiots don't know that he's going to do something. So now we have superiority over them 
and we're waiting for him to explode at their dumbness. Right? <laughs> suddenly it, it's the rhino scene. Right, suddenly, exactly, exactly. Still not, probably definitely would not be as uh, in the same level. Yeah, but God it's level. still not a very funny joke. Right, but, but at the very least... It the, could have been executed to the point right. where it would have been at least chuckle-worthy. Right. So I don't have to look back on the joke with disdain. <laughs> but also Dude, a big problem with that is that these two characters are very simple. They're very simplistic characters. I don't just mean that they're stupid. Simple. I mean, <laughs> I mean the characters are simply one-dimensional. Yeah, which kind of leads us into our next point, Tom. <laughs> to get to to play off of what Tom just said, that's going to be cut. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the audience's perspective of characters determines whether the scene is horrific or not, because a comedy is just a horrific thing turned benign. So mm. it's it's the same setup, right? So in terms of a horror movie, if we know that something bad is going to happen to a character and we actually like them, then it's horrific to us. Right. So a really great example is the movie Saw, the first Mm. Saw. Never mind the rest of them. (laughs) Because the characters are actually complex. Mm. And because of the horror genre being as limited as it can be, it's really great that this movie actually only puts about five or six characters in the movie in totality. Because it gives us time to actually develop really complex characters. Mm Mm-hmm. Even though that these two guys stuck in the room are pretty much objectively bad people, mm-hmm. it still challenges us to think, do, do these guys really deserve to be tortured over any mistakes they might have made? Right. Well, I, I was just going to expand on that a little bit because like, it, it sounds a little bit like, uh, you know, just does the, uh, the punishment fit the crime, right? Right. But also, you know, we're able to, um, we, we spend time with the characters, even though we're introduced to them as like, oh... We understand the justification that, oh, these are the bad guys and they're being punished, but we're forced to spend time with them, and thus we understand more about them. We start empathizing with them. And then, even though we know the thing that they've done that, you know, is the justification, now we care about them. And now we're thinking, well, but, you know, we understand them. Maybe they could change. Maybe, you know, they're they're human beings. Do they really deserve to be tortured? You know, it's it's it, it really brings up it forces you to think about not just these characters, but then it makes you take th- that kind of question to uh, the larger scope of does anybody deserve to be, you know, unjustly punished, even if they've done something that's that's bad or even terrible? You know, does the, will the punishment always fit the crime? Right. And the idea that this this concept can come from a horror movie mm-hmm. just lends credence to the idea of creating very human characters right. leads to better drama. Mm-hmm. Because if we look at any other horror movie with really bad examples where there mm-hmm. are simple characters, right. when when bad things happen to really evil people, we don't really care. In fact, we, we can relish it sometimes because right. it's just desserts. Right. And on the opposite spectrum, when someone's really good, someone's good to the point of sainthood, right. those people don't really exist. So when a nun gets decapitated by an axe murderer, it's like, that should be a travesty. And if it happened in real life, it would be. Right, But it's a horror movie, and people like that don't really exist, and situations right. like that don't really exist. Mm-hmm. There's no empathy for the characters. We just don't care. Right. A lot of times these type of simple characters are like, you know, they're shown as just this one-dimensional, like, you know, they exist. They, we understand that they exist solely to be killed. They're, they're fodder. Because that's, that's what happens. That's, that's, that's usually how stories go, is that the simpler characters... We don't spend enough time with these simple characters to actually make them, you know, uh, more interesting because they're 
intent in the story is to leave in some way. You know, they serve their one-dimensional purpose. And that's fine for side characters who are just, who just come in and, and, and then leave in some way. That could be death or, or just like walk away, right? So we expect this kind of, okay, you're going to, this character is not interesting. They're going to leave here soon. And when it's that type of one-dimensional character is put into the whole fucking movie or book or whatever, you're just waiting for them to be dead because they've played everything they have. They don't have any more complexity. This goes back to complexity again. That's the the difficult nature of the horror genre. Yeah. When you have to have a huge cast of people that get killed throughout the film, we got to kill a lot of people in this film. Yep. If you're going that route, you can't make complex characters. And that's, that's, instead of looking at it as, you know, limiting, you can look at it as a challenge. How do I make complex characters in a horror film and kill off the simple ones, but not have it all feel cheap? Right. Because then it takes away from the the overall message. You, the audience is no longer thinking, "Oh, wow, these were complex characters who died for X, Y, or Z," and maybe there's like an inherent message here. Instead, they died because they're simple characters. Right, like a quiet place. Like each character has their role. Like each death is very poignant. Oh yeah, it's two deaths, I guess. Huh? Spoilers. <laughs> but again, yeah. limiting the cast is a good move to make in a yeah. horror film. For sure, for sure. Yeah, Dr. Sleep had way too many characters, that's for sure. And they even cut a lot out, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they, like, combined a few characters to make them, <laughs> make them a little more complex. And nice. It, it didn't help too much. Yeah, uh, Compared to, like, It, which had a tiny cast of, like, God, it was, like, seven kids. But like, that's it pretty big. That's, that's, a big, pretty big, big. that's a big cast for a horror movie, but <laughs> because they're good-natured kids and we get to look at some of their lives. And spend a lot of time with them. Yeah. Because we get to spend mostly our time with just those seven kids, we there's time. And putting it over two films, good idea. Yeah, yep. <laughs> Six but hours let, is a great amount of time. Let, let's segue over to comedy. Yeah. Well, you know, we're talking about the, this empathy with the characters and stuff. In, in comedy, when we, when we care about the characters, you know, even though they're heavily flawed, what instead is happening with comedy is we're laughing at their flaws in the hopes that these people are going to become, to, to overcome them and get better, right? We care about them and we want, we understand, you know, the, the deeper good nature of them. And thus, when they mess up, we're able to laugh, not at them per se, but at the, the flaw that they're trying to overcome. And it makes it seem like maybe this flaw is something that, that you know, isn't so terrible because maybe you have it or, or somebody you know has it, right? Uh, this is a flaw that is maybe isn't so terrible that you could get over, right? It, it removes the power again. But that can only happen if we care about that character. Because, but inversely, um, when their flaws are being really pronounced, like, or sorry, excuse me, excuse me. Uh, inversely, whenever their flaws are, are being pronounced, when we're focusing on them, the environment has to be a safe one. And the repercussions of their flaws need to be harmless to themselves and others. So a good example of that would be Monk, the TV show. He's a he's a deeply flawed character, right? He has OCD, and there are times when it comes up, and we can laugh when he's unaware of how he's inconveniencing others. But that's the thing. He's only inconveniencing people. Whenever there's a scene where there's other characters who are snickering behind his back mm-hmm. because of his OCD... Or he's like actively trying to overcome the flaw. Like he's aware that he has this issue, right? And so there are scenes where he's aware of it and he's trying to stop and he can't. And that's when it becomes sad instead. 
So it can be very difficult to get it right. You want to care about the character, and the thing that we want to laugh at is their flaws, but you have to do it very, very carefully. It has to be in an environment that is both safe and welcoming to them, um, and also in a way where they are not you know, fully aware of what's going on yet. Yeah. Example of, uh, well, I guess Oof. other good characters like that, you'd have like um, Pink Panther or like um, Spy for Spy or Shaun of the Dead where the character's lazy, so you automatically sympathize with him. Oh, yeah, um, obviously. <laughs> then you have a bad character, like many of Adam Sandler's characters. Pretty much every uh, Adam Sandler character, right? <laughs> which is, yeah, it's just saying inappropriate <laughs> things and victimizing a lot of characters. And you can either laugh along with it and feel like a dick. Well, sp- I mean, specifically, uh, we were looking at Pixels, right? Because there's a scene kind of early on in that movie where he, uh, <sighs> you know, we've seen him as a kid and then we see him as an adult. And really the only time we've spent with him as an adult is showing that he's just kind of like this this sad sack or kind of a douche. And he shows up to somebody's house and he's just a dick to like the kid and then the mom specifically. This is the scene that we're talking about. And he hasn't. We haven't established any empathy with this character yet. And so instead of it coming off as "ha ha ha," he's making everybody so uncomfortable. It's just, dude, fucking tone it down. It, it, we we're very aware of how insensitive it is, and it just makes us cringe instead. Mm. Yeah, we're not we're not aware that he's flawed. Right. He is flawed, but the idea is not that it's sympathetic. We don't really feel like we're like this guy. Right. We just see him being a douche, and we're like, okay. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't want to be in the same room with this guy either. Right. This isn't a leading man. Right. We can say you know, who's, can say a, you know who's a leading. You know who's a leading man. In that <laughs> yeah, you know who's a leading man. Yeah. Say it's it. Kevin James as the president. If you take Adam Sandler's character out and you make Kevin James's character both the president and really good at video games, then you have a real protagonist. <laughs> Adam Sandler could have easily just produced that movie instead. Uh, yeah, but Adam Sandler. You know, he makes music, movies as an excuse to make out hot actresses. So. Me too. He needs to take vacations. You don't make movies, Tom. He's violated us. And violated. all the people that yeah, had that Everyone that's ever been in his life has been violated. And speaking of violations, uh, for example, in humor theory, there's a theory called the benign violation. It's by these two guys. I forgot their name a long time ago. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, tell us about it anyway. Basically, humor happens when a violation occurs, but it's benign. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to talk about some examples because that's not not initially understandable. I don't think. Well, why don't, why don't you had some great examples for horror? Why don't you tell us about the benign violation of horror? Yeah, so let's come take my hand, and I'll take you on a tour through benign violation. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I don't like that. <laughs> Um, violation let's think in a good horror movie you have the violation where it feels like the monster is real where you feel like even though you're in your seat watch the horror movie you've cringed your body can't make that separation like your brain is so like keyed up and then in a bad horror movie you have a the monster might have a silly voice or it's you could see it's just a silly cgi kind of like sonic the hedgehog looking motherfucker and that's a benign violation because you don't feel scared by it (laughs) Right, so, but, but before you move on, I I want to make the, the clarification that <laughs> the benign violation theory works for comedies especially well, but remember, the horror is a comedy that's lacking the benign element. Right. So the right. monster in a horror movie has to violate us in a way that is not benign. Mm-hmm. So the monster being real, yes, that's a huge violation, but if the monster was real and had a very silly voice, we might think it's a comedy. Yeah. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> We'd be very disappointed if it happened at the end at the reveal. Um, <laughs> it's been like a perfect horror movie up to that point. <laughs> uh, it's just fucking silly. What was the example you had um, when we were talking about this earlier? Uh, what it, what, if it ended with just he gives all the kids back and he's just like, oh, well, <laughs> yeah, no big deal. Just kidding. I'm, I'm actually just a spider Jesus. alien. Yeah, <laughs> spider alien. Sorry, guys. So, so give us your examples for comedies. What, what's right. the benign violation in comedies? Also, imagine you know, take dick jokes, right? So if you're watching right. CGI, I'll, I'll take I'll take dick jokes. Uh, I'm Go trying on. to talk here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, shut he's, up. He stopped being a dick. <laughs> um, so let's take dick jokes. If you're watching CGI sausages making dick jokes. That's hilarious. It's a benign violation of like of a gross topic. It's funny because they're sausages. But if it's your your naked old boss making a dick joke, that's just a violation. <laughs> I, I I have to say I, I've read I've read this document so many times, and I still lose it when I, <laughs> when the boss is making the dick joke and he's, he's naked. <laughs> Like, yeah, I feel violated too. reading. <laughs> In closing, we um, we talked a bit about how these 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 genres are 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 similar. You know, they both they both use shock and extremes to get their point across. But if you time like that that biggest shock, that big, the biggest thrill, fear, joke uh, with your moral message, then it can actually become incredibly powerful. You know, this is something. Looking back at Saw, right? That was a I think probably the best example of this. Um, you actually take a message out of that movie because the huge emotional peaks in that movie are aligned with making you question, do these people deserve this? And so it becomes very powerful. Like we mentioned earlier, uh, both of these genres can be combined successfully with other genres to make them stronger. Comedy, especially because of its designing principle type nature it's it's very good to combine comedy with other genres to give them some structure to give them some form and play with the other genre and horror does the same thing except horror usually it has the slack picked up by the other genre it's like forging metal it makes horror stronger to pick another genre to go with it because we have less of the cliches and tropes to lean on mm -hmm. both of these genres benefit really really well from being combined with others now for both genres uh, in terms of thrills and fears and jokes building, you don't necessarily want those extremes to continue to build. You don't want the tension to keep mounting in horror or in comedy. You want that release. You want the the thing to either get the person or be killed. You want the punchline of the joke. You want resolution. Ultimately, people just want a good story, right? To have a good story to tell us more about you know, the human condition. Genre tropes are simply a tools to tell a better story. You don't have to recreate the genre. The uh, the foundation is there, and you get to put skin, your own skin on it. I love the point, but please <laughs> use a different metaphor. I don't know. Well, look, a good story can utilize both horror and comedy in certain scenes to fully convey, like, the spectrum of what it means to be human. Any story that's trying to say something about humanity, well, it's going to have horrific moments, those exist... And funny moments, because that's everyday life. You know, it brings it back to the everyday. Horror is like, you know, you get a vicarious thrill. You get to simulate these universal experiences of fear, of helplessness, loneliness, violence. And you might be able to take away some kind of mastery of fear, or you mm -hmm. realize that fear is just something we have to live with and uh, integrate into our lives. 
that. Ultimately, in terms of the comedy genre or the super genres, all genres poorly executed become comedies right. just by bad timing. It's so whatever. bad. It's funny. It, or yeah, or, or it's so poorly done that it circles back around to being just laughably bad. Right. Or if it's like a really good comedy, you leave, you know, a story having like, you had a good story, you had a good laugh, you feel better about life and maybe your life sucks. So you can have a good comedy to help get away from it. How, how do, how do we get from what I just said to that? (laughs) Unfortunately though, when comedy is bad, it's just bad. It's just, you just, you turn it off. You're like, I'm over this. Some, yeah, somehow, some way there's just no salvaging a bad no. comedy it just it doesn't wrap around to being good ever again it's no. so bad no that's horror and comedy I guess <laughs> and that's a wrap <laughs> the end <laughs> uh-huh.